Welcome to Be All You Are, a midlife awakening podcast. I'm your host, Kena Paranjape, the founder of All You Are, a women's lifestyle brand, an entrepreneur, writer, and mother. This podcast is all about stepping into all you are. It's about reconnecting to your inner voice so you can hear the whispers of your true desires and cultivate the courage to create the life that is meant for you. Your dreams are your soul's voice. They are worth your time and attention. Now head out on that solo walk or settle into a cozy spot with a favorite beverage and join me. I can't wait to meet you. Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today I am sharing with you a conversation I had with my friend and fellow entrepreneur Lisa Matam. Lisa is a founder of Sahajin, which is an Ayurvedic skincare collection that is the only one backed by clinically proven results. I love Sahajin. I love Lisa's collection, and I have tried almost all of the products. Um, I can tell you that my two favorites are the essential cleansing oil. I love using oils to cleanse my face because my skin is dry, and this keeps my skin moist and never stripping uh, my skin of oils. And it smells amazing, which I love. And um, the Nurture Hair Oil, it smells so beautiful. And you just put a few drops in your hand and rub it through your dry hair and it's shiny. And it's like wearing this natural perfume and I just love it. So I'm going to leave the, the links to those specific products as well as to Lisa's site and all her social handles as well in the show notes. Before we get more into that conversation with Lisa, I wanted to remind you that my Manifesting in Midlife workshop is happening next Thursday, June 22nd at noon Eastern. Actually, I think by the time this podcast comes out, June 22nd will actually be tomorrow. So when you're listening to this, it'll be tomorrow. There's still time to sign up. Um, This workshop is a 90-minute live workshop all about deconstructing what is it to manifest and why is manifesting such an incredibly powerful way of being. Because I say it goes far beyond being a tool or something that you do, but it is just a way of being that brings so much beauty to your life. So I want to walk through that with you. I'm also going to share some of my own personal manifesting strategies, many of which I have learned through teachers like Michael A. Singer, Wayne Dyer, Joe Dispenza, and of course, the queen of manifesting, Oprah. And it's really going to be a wonderful, I think, fresh take on manifesting specifically for women who kind of self-identify as being either approaching midlife or in midlife. But the idea is you've kind of gotten really cozy with your preconceived limits and thoughts and beliefs. And so we have a little bit more to bust through. So um, I hope to see you tomorrow for that workshop. And the link to register will also be in the show notes. So back to Lisa, what's especially special is that Lisa and I met when she was just getting started, similar to me on my entrepreneurial journey almost 10 years ago. In the last 10 years of building her business, I've seen her add new products, expand into new markets, and receive press accolades from Elle, Vogue, and Oprah Magazine, among others, including many celebrities. But in this conversation, while we do touch on her 
kind of entrepreneurial journey, we really dive into Lisa's personal growth journey alongside her entrepreneurial one. Um, And we touch on things like the power of saying yes, even though we know we might be going into an uncomfortable growth phase, like saying yes anyway, finding ways to dip our toe into something new before diving in headfirst, and so much more. I know you're going to love this episode. You're going to take away a lot of inspiration and I think really some um, tried and true advice, really. So please take a lesson. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to Be All You Are, a Midlife Awakening podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Kena. I'm so excited to be here. We started our entrepreneurial journey at within the same time frame, I feel like. And, you know, my path has pivoted quite a lot since then. And I've seen you go from, you know, just developing the concept and sort of testing it out with people to this brand that has seen so much success and so much growth. And I've just been watching on the sidelines and, you know, having conversations with you as well. But I'm so proud and impressed with your commitment to your business and the vision behind your business. And so I'm really glad to have you here to talk about that, but then also your personal journey along the way. Thank you. Um, it's uh, it's certainly been a journey. And actually, we met because we were both entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. we have a mutual friend who thought we should be. That's right. Friends. So we this was clearly faded. Yes. <laughs> clearly. And I love that we're still in each other's lives and have even yeah. partnered on different yeah. things. So it's, mm-hmm. it's such a great community. Yes. Um, I want to start where I always start. It, and that is by asking you about your childhood and, and more specifically, what you were like as a child. Like, what were you naturally drawn to? And the reason I always ask this is because I feel like we are born with this true essence, right? And um, that essence can be manipulated in a lot of ways as we get older and we go through school and depending on our upbringing. But most of us have somewhat of a memory of what that true essence was. And so I love to learn. I love to learn what that is. And I'd love to hear from you. It's funny. Like I, it, it is hard to remember. It's hard to remember. You know what I think is interesting about memory is one, it's hard to remember, but also your memory is sort of shaped by stories that other people tell you. So True. whether or not it's your memory. So what was I like as a child? I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I think I was probably similar in some ways to who I am now, like very confident about some things, um, unsure about others. I, I, it's fine. I I am like kind of struggling with memories. I'm thinking of like stories that my parents have told me. Mm -hmm. And I think about things that I get made fun of from, from my family for having behaviors of, but like I, I, there's like, stories that my parents tell my my parents obviously are biased into thinking that I'm right so my my mom likes to tell stories of like when people came over she would pull out these puzzles and she would tell me to do them in front of people which I have no memory of wow um, but she tells me that I did them so i i suppose that's true but it's interesting they also have a story that they love to tell which is actually something i recently revisited with my sister not specifically about the childhood story but they said like when i 
went to kindergarten, I used to get nervous to get on the bus. Mm -hmm. And so to transition, I guess, I don't think my parents would have used the word transition, but they used to give me a gift to give the bus driver every day. And so I would get on the bus and I would give him a gift and that's how I would get on. And it's funny. And the reason I recently shared or didn't share that specific story, but I was telling my sister because my niece is getting older and starting to look at university and my sister was nervous about her going away. And I said, but look at me. I always struggled with the transition, but was always really glad that I did it. Yeah. And and that was something consistent. Like I wanted to switch schools in elementary school to go to a French immersion school. I asked my parents. Wow. Um, Yeah. But then the first couple of weeks, I think I was... I think I really struggled. I think I yeah. called home and like, it wasn't like I was away, but I w- didn't like I, the only time I think in elementary school I would have called home and been like, I have a tummy ache. I need to come home. Mm-hmm. And then when I went away to university, I intentionally didn't apply to a university that was close to home so that I could go away. Mm-hmm. But then I struggled in the transition. I did. That's happened. Like, it's like a little bit of a theme. So, um, but how beautiful is that? Because I mean, from a young age, you learned not to fear that new thing, even though you probably likely knew that the transition was going to be hard. Yeah. And that's amazing. See, it's funny that you think of it as amazing because I was like, God, why do I always go through these transitions? Like other people just like show up at school and throw their stuff on the floor and are like, I'm here. And I have like this two weeks, like I'm like, I'm here. What am I going to do? And then it all like starts to fall into place. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think that that was part of me as a child, but I think my parents were very, um, I think my parents were very positive about me just being who I was. I think there wasn't a lot of, I mean, there were certainly like directions and guidance and boundaries, but um, I think that they, you know, one thing I do remember, my dad loves telling the story too, is I remember probably when I was like seven or eight, there was a new girl in school from Scotland and it was her first day. And I guess I invited her over to my house. Aww. And so I brought her home from school. And my dad was like, that's the kind of person, like, you are. Whereas, like, now I'm married and have kids. And sometimes my kids are like, who's coming over for dinner this week? Like, <laughs> 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 oh, beautiful stories. And you know what? The other, I just want to circle back to that bus driver story, though, too. Like, yeah. what a beautiful thing. It wasn't your parents didn't give you a gift for getting on the bus every day. Mm-hmm. They asked you to give a gift to the bus driver. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's something like really beautiful about that because it's like, like what I've learned is that when I'm going through my hardest times, if I help somebody else, it makes the time I'm going through lighter. And so I don't know if they thought of that when they, when they were suggesting Mm -hmm. that to you, but like they could have offered you a gift to get on the bus. That's true. I probably would have done that. (laughs) I would have been like, what's my chocolate bar if you just get on the bus? Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, I think this is all a great transition to my next question, which is your journey to Sahajan. Yes. You know, you just described this feeling from a young age of wanting to take on new things, but then, you know, really going through a period of transition and struggle as you went for it, right? So can you tell us about your journey to um, entrepreneurship, because I know you, like me, were in the corporate world for quite a while. And, you know, what was, what was your why behind be- becoming an entrepreneur and then, um, and Sahajan specifically? Yeah. So the piece that I don't often talk about, not f- for any particular reason, but just because sometimes <laughs> it feels not as relevant to Sahajan, but is I actually had a dip into entrepreneurship prior to Sahajan. So mm-hmm. 
or I wouldn't say a dip, like a full-fledged whatever. Um, so I was in the corporate world. I worked in pharma. It was a really great experience on so many levels um, and had gone through like a little bit of um, probably for, you know, I had gone through some, some just a lot of thinking about like, is this what I want to do for forever? You know, there were things that I loved about it, like in gratitude for the experience. I met amazing friends. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I met my husband at work, like mm-hmm. lots of great things came out of it. But as I was growing through the opportunity, I, I could sense that I needed some change. And I was like, do I move on to a different company? And I, for a lot of reasons, our company was going through transition at the time. And I could feel that like I was struggling as a young leader and I felt like there wasn't a lot for me there. So when I uh, when I left the corporate world, I didn't leave and go to Sahaja. What I left is I actually went and left and was consulting for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And so my initial intent when I left was to be a consultant that specifically looked at young leaders because that's where I felt like we were falling short as an organization. I just felt like I felt like there wasn't a lot being done for young leaders and organizations. You know, like there's training courses you could take in this or that, but there wasn't a lot of fundamental work. And then, you know, as I started to navigate this, I grew this practice that really focused on, I I consulted back to pharma a lot still. So I did a lot of strategic work back to pharma. Mm -hmm. I helped a lot of organizations, um, whether it's like on people strategy, I did, I still helped like with Bayer. I spent a lot of time helping them launch a brand and I was grateful for, we did those very strategic still pharma pieces. Mm -hmm. Then I did, I grew a practice around the advancement of women in diversity, which wasn't what I initially set it to do. But as I was working, that was the work that needed to be done. And then we did some general leadership stuff. And so that was really my first foray into entrepreneurship because I left this big corporate world and I, you know, it's, it sounds really cheesy and privileged in some ways. Cause I remember on my last day, like I drove a corporate car mm-hmm. and so like I had to give up the keys and, you yeah. know, you pack everything up in a box and I needed somebody to come pick me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then, you know, for the next year or so, like I left with zero clients. It wasn't like I left yeah. transitioning to something and I really had to build a practice and it was, it was challenging and it was mm-hmm. hard and, but I really had this sense of that I was ready at that point to start to navigate my own career as well mm-hmm. and, 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 and feeling like that was going to happen. And so, you know, we, we started to gain clients. I started to collaborate with a lot of people. And then as the practice grew, I started to have like a free, like a, a, a number of contractors that we worked with. And I started to bring in people in house as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was a really, like when I think of entrepreneurship, I think that experience taught me a lot about running my own business. Mm-hmm. It taught me a lot about working with people in that capacity, but it's a very different business from what I do now. Yes. At the time, it was interesting when I left and I remember having lunch with a mentor of mine from J&J and she had said to me, you know, this isn't the last business you're going to run. And at the time I was kind of insulted. Like I was like, what is she talking about? Like, I can't see this through. And like, I'm only two weeks in and she's already like, you're going to run something This isn't going to work and you're going to need to work on something, something else. else. That's exactly how I took the feedback. Yeah. And then like, lo and behold, she was right. But I, you know, that experience taught me so much about running my own business. I didn't think that a second business was necessarily coming and I was inspired to create Sahajan, but I'm grateful for that time in between because I think for me, it gave me also that experience of growing a business, growing a practice. And it taught me that I can do it. And now what I'm doing now is on a much different scale. Um, But I had the fundamentals and I had, I think, the confidence in myself that, you know, I could leave a corporate job with 
like basically zero, go build this practice over the next five to seven years, and then now start again and go build something. And I yeah. think I think I had that proof almost in myself that I could do it. Yes. I love this story for so many reasons, Lisa. And we still have to talk about Sahajan, but um, and the reason is that a lot of the women who listen to this podcast and who I work with in my groups are in a corporate atmosphere, a lot of them. And mm-hmm. and they have a lot of experience and are highly skilled and they have confidence in what they do in their job when they go to work every day. But the confidence outside of that to like take their skills and apply it in a new way and be able to create opportunities, there's a lot of fear around, you know, kind of wandering into those waters. And that's a lot of the the work that we do. So what would you say to someone? um, And like, you know, when I talk about this, it's not that we say, take the plunge, make the leap. Like, of course, there are realities, right? Like people have um, some people, some women are breadwinners in their homes, things like that. But I do think that for a lot of us, we stop ourselves before we can even let our mind go there, that I could do something else, right? So what would you say to women who are kind of getting this itch or have a desire to do something different, um, but but are really kind of stuck in their fear? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I have so much. So I think, to your point, I think we do limit ourselves and our capability. I So I did my undergrad and grad school at McMaster, and I went back last year to speak at the first day of the MBA, like new cohort. Mm -hmm. And someone from the business school was like, look at you and your career. You've really done different things. And I wasn't sure if she was like, what have you been up to? (laughs) I was, my thing was like, yeah, we can totally reinvent ourselves. And what we don't realize when we're in the corporate environment, I remember doing the transition to brand manager Mm -hmm. and I was 29 at the time. And I'm not saying this to be boastful, but more for context. Like, yeah. I think I was like the youngest brand manager on the biggest brand that we had. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I had gotten the job, but not yet was like formally in the role. Cause you know, when things move in corporate, it's like you're going to close up here for two weeks and then they have to figure things out. And I remember realizing, like, I don't know what that next job actually means. Like, what mm-hmm. if I get there and I don't know how to do it? But when we're in a corporate environment, we kind of assume that the, like, we'll just figure it out. Yeah. Like, because, you know, these roles are entrenched and somebody will either teach me or I'll observe it or I'll learn in the process. And I would say, I think we need to carry that same mentality Mm. out when we want to start businesses, which is like, I can learn it and you can ask good people and you can figure things out. Like nothing is not figure outable. And I remember, I know we're going to talk about Sahajan and for context for, for your listeners, it's a skincare company. But I remember when I was starting in the process of development, I actually told very few people about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell my parents. Like I just wasn't – one, I think I wasn't comfortable in it. I didn't want to have naysayers. I just wanted to to get it to a place where it was ready before I came out with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember telling one friend who said to me like, really, Lisa? Like is this what you sh- – you know, like is this – do you really think like you're this is going to be successful? And she was – she was, she was a friend, but she was like, you know, you're already doing well. You've got this consulting practice. You've got two little kids. Like, do you really want to put it on the line? And she said, and do you really think your products are going to sit beside like, like Estee Lauder or something one day? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Like, because you can't, it's what I realized then. And I still sometimes remind myself now, um, 
is that if you, you don't have that faith, then there's no point in starting. Do you know what I mean? You have to give yourself permission. And and I still do this with myself all the time. Like I love listening to podcasts from other founders because you realize like they started in one place and they ended up in another or, yeah. you know, they were accidental entrepreneurs or whatever it is. So so I guess I don't know if I've given any great advice. I've told stories, no, but I think not. that the re- I think the real advice is to trust in your ability to figure it out. Yes. Yes, I love that. That is that is perfect. I think that's the perfect message. Thank you. Okay, so let's quickly because I have so many questions I want to ask you. But um, yeah. tell us about your journey to Sahajan. Yeah, so Sahajan started a, again. This was not intended. This was you know I had the consulting practice. Things were going well. We had established you know a, a good name in, in it's particular in the area of you know doing I had the pharma area. We did some strategy work. We did a lot of work on women and on advancing women in diversity. And I come back from, I think I was traveling for work. And my daughter, who was almost three, had, had was home with uh, a babysitter. And she had gotten into my skincare. Well, I, you know, and so she had it like all over her face and her arms and all that kind of stuff. Super cute. Um, you know, I'm playing with it the way the kids, you know, think that you play with it. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like so cute. Like, oh my gosh, thinking like, oh my God, now I have to go buy, I have to go buy new skincare products. And then thinking, what's it going to do to your young, beautiful skin? Mm. And this was in the early days of clean beauty. And so I remember going upstairs and saying to her, like, you've got to take that off. Look, if you want to play with things, you've got to play with these things. These, you know, these are good for you. And they were little bottles that my parents had brought back on a recent trip to India, you know, not fancy, but I trusted them. Like I was like, no, 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 this is what you can use. And so it was in that moment that I had so many thoughts. I was like, okay, if my skincare isn't good enough for her, it's likely not good enough for me. Yes. This is what I believed in. I need to spend more time here. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it set me on a bit of a journey. I think one, to realize what and you know, you and I are both of South Asian heritage, so we may have had these experiences in common. But like, I always attributed, you know, my parents wanting to put oil in my hair or like turmeric on a pimple or whatever it is to Indian culture, and it is part of the culture. But I didn't appreciate that it was steeped in this science of Ayurveda. Yes, and so that was a big awakening for me. And then I think the other piece was, and actually what I learned, this is more than you ever want to know, is that where my parents are from in India is actually the epicenter of Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it was so entrenched in our home um, because it was just part of the way my parents did things. But what I also learned was that, or at least what I thought about was like, why did it take me so long to get here? Yeah. Right? Like clean beauty is an interesting, and now, you know, fast forward in time, it's 2023, there's clean at Sephora and conscious Mm -hmm. beauty at Ulta and all these things. But back then, clean beauty was the thing of the health food store. Yeah. Right. And right. it was not fancy and yeah. it was, you know, not, not effective, not beautiful, all those things. Yeah. It was like, it was like a something that you bought because it was clean. Yeah. You didn't buy it because it worked. Yeah. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, you know, people primarily buy skincare because they want it to work. They have an issue that they want to solve. And that issue could just be, I need to take my makeup off, but mm. it's often, I want, you know, my skin is red, my skin is dry, my skin Mm -hmm. is acneic, I'm worried it looks dull, I'm worried Mm -hmm. I look tired. Mm -hmm. And those are the things we look for. And I thought, well, I know that these ingredients from India and the science can, you know, of Ayurveda can deliver on it. Mm -hmm. Let me show it to people. Mm -hmm. Having come from pharma, I was like, I can really do this because we can dig into the science of it. And so that was basically how we got started. I hired a local chemist from GSK, formerly of GSK, 
And um, and we worked with two Ayurvedic doctors in India, and and we took it from there. So good, so mm-hmm. good. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of the product. So, you know, if anyone is listening and hasn't tried yet, you must because they are truly beautiful. And I think, you know, you, using skincare is also an experience. Like you want to, you want to enjoy the experience and. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you've really delivered on that, like everything with the packaging and the scent. And I know it's all Ayurvedic. So um, yeah, it's, it's really, really beautiful. Thank you. Um, okay. So we have already talked about how you, from a young age, really have kind of pushed yourself out of your comfort zone, right? So I want to hear more about how your journey to entrepreneurship has pushed you out of your comfort zone. Oh my gosh, it's pushed me in my comfort zone. Like it's, I feel like the entire journey mm-hmm. is, at least for me, yeah, is an exercise in being out of my comfort zone. I didn't appreciate it. So, you know, when I got the idea, it was two and a half years, almost three years before we launched because I was still consulting. I had a baby mm-hmm. and I took a very pragmatic approach. So we made the first formulas at the bench. Like we, I took a very yeah. specific approach to doing this. Um, and so this was before social media was as it was. I mean, there was Facebook and Instagram yeah. was coming, but it wasn't what it was. Yes. I didn't expect for it to be, for me to be as founder forward. Mm-hmm. And I still get good feedback that says like, be even more founder forward. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, like even silly things. Like I recently got a Sahajan sweatshirt and I saw something on LinkedIn that was like, you should be repping your brand at all times. Whereas like, Sometimes I'm like, I don't like, I don't want people to think I'm always talking about this or I don't want, you know, I, it's like, it feels counterintuitive. Yeah. But I think, I think it's pushed me out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, even in like, you know, technical ways. So I'm going to pick finance as an example. Mm-hmm. Like I grew my career mostly in marketing, sales, mm-hmm. strategy, those areas. So, but really, I think in a, in a consumer packaged goods company, as much as those things are so important, so are the back end operations. Yeah. And that's not an area of expertise for me. And I've often been in rooms or in situations where I feel, I don't know what the right way is. I don't know if imposter is the right word, but where I felt like what if I don't know everything that everybody else no. knows? Or what if I'm not using the lingo that everybody else knows? Yep. Or everybody knows their numbers inside and out and they mm-hmm. can talk about them over dinner. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and maybe I'm not there. And so I think what entrepreneurship has done is it's put me in places where maybe I'm not as comfortable, but it's also made me have to speak in a way or like it, it's it's put me in scenarios where maybe if you're in a larger organization as an example – you wouldn't be in because if I was, if I continued my career in pharma, even if I wanted to be the CEO, I would still have a CFO, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, as this business grows, we're starting to add in those roles and yeah. stuff or starting to add in that expertise, but you're everything. You're you're everything. That's right. So you're having to learn everything. Yeah. So I think it consistently, like not a week goes by that I'm not outside my comfort zone. That That is for sure entrepreneurship. I agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and your answer could be within the realm of entrepreneurship, but I want to ask you about the lesson that you've learned the hard way. 
And so this doesn't have to come from your entrepreneurship journey. It can come from sort of any experience in your life. But is there a lesson that you learned the hard way? Um, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll tell it this way. I read something this morning that said, true success is a regulated nervous system. And I'm sharing it only to say, I think one of the lessons I've learned the hard way is a little bit about following my instinct. And so I'll tell you the story and maybe it'll make more sense. Yeah. So, um, because I'm trying to find the right way to tell the story. Yeah, but, tell us. <laughs> but there was a time, there was a time in the business where, and I mean, we continue to look for growth, right? Business owners always do. Yes. And uh, there was an opportunity to work with a partner based in the U.S. And when, you know, this partner first reached out, I was like, uh, I don't know. Mm. And I was a bit unsure, not because of the person in and of itself, but I wasn't sure what he was proposing. Mm-hmm. And then he offered to come to Toronto and was this super nice person and really had done a lot of research about Sahaja and knew a lot about it, like really came with a very positive approach and like, here's how I can help you grow the business and yeah. here's what I want to do. And and I was like, wow, this might be a really good opportunity for me. And there are points in your business where you kind of feel stuck and you're like, maybe this is my unstuck, yeah. right? Like maybe the universe or God or whatever you want to, like mm-hmm. maybe I'm being offered the opportunity for that next growth point mm-hmm. in this partnership. But as we started negotiating the partnership agreement, things took a turn mm-hmm. and he was really difficult. And um, I saw a side that I just hadn't seen before. And there was a part of me that kind of pushed it away because I was like, you know, people sometimes are different in negotiations yep. than they are in real life yep. because they feel like they need to hold on to themselves. But I was also like, it would make me nervous. Like I would get this feeling mm-hmm. when I would get the email back, I would always feel this like surge in my mm-hmm. stomach. But what the weird thing was, is it made me push a little bit harder. It was almost like in the difficulty of it, I felt like I wanted it more. I don't know what it was, mm-hmm. but I I like continued to see it forward where I think my body was telling me like, do you really want a partner who's going to make you feel this way? Like, mm-hmm. it's okay to be oppositional with people. It's okay in a negotiation yeah. to be on different sides of the table. Yes. But this person's approach, like I remember there was one point where I had had a lawyer look through it and propose something back that was very reasonable. And he wrote me something back that said, it was like he was angry. And so he was like, it's like you've brought a, a gun to a knife fight. Mm-hmm. And I remember being surprised by the comment, but I also remember being like, you know, even the context of a fight, right? Like I was like, yeah. not- why is this a fight? This is not why meant is to be a fight. fight. Like you've just told me you want to be a partner. Yeah. And I think because I was in the process, I just saw it through like it was a pro, you know, like I was like, I just have to, get, you know, we'll yeah. just get through. Yeah. And it's and- also a bit of like, this is what we have to do to grow our business. Like we have to, you know, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. This is what we have to do, and this mm-hmm. is a great opportunity. And look yeah. what he's proposing, and look at the numbers he's committing himself to, and all that stuff. Anyways, the relationship was difficult, and it never materialized. Mm-hmm. And it by, by materialized, I mean I put my share in, and I you know lost investment on, mm-hmm. against the partnership. But he is who he showed himself to be mm-hmm. in the negotiation and was really difficult after. And it was almost like once it was signed, he actually became even like harder to get a hold of, but really good at invoicing me and really good at being like, oh, no, no, no I'm busy right now. I promise I'm working on things. Like it was just, it got a little sketchy. Or not sketchy isn't fair, but it got, it, it was consistent. And I think the the difficult thing is 
And I sometimes say this to my daughter now, who's a teenager, is like, people show you who they are. Yes. And believe them. Have- There's a saying, okay. I think, when people yeah, show yes, you who I, they are, believe yeah, them. I think when someone shows you, there's that saying, right? And and I think in this situation, it's part of it is I had to believe him and I had to believe myself. Like, yes. because sometimes my nervous system gets, you know, when you're nervous, when you're in entrepreneurship, like sometimes there's fires every day. Yeah. So you experience these emotions all the time. So you're like, well, this is just part of entrepreneurship. Like, you know, the sky is always, feels like sometimes when you're in entrepreneurship, like it's always falling. So mm-hmm. to have that emotion in that moment, I was like, okay, well, this is part of the process. But I think I learned the hard way that like, I don't need partners like that. Yeah. And people show themselves. And so it's okay at some point to be like, hey, you're not the right one for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very powerful example. And it actually leads very well into my next question because you did speak to your instincts, right? And sort of feeling like you um, you felt your instincts, but you at that time or in that moment didn't sort of listen, right? Like you didn't like follow them. Um and I think like, I think we've all learned over time how important that voice is, right? That inner voice. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you sort of more actively tap into your inner voice? How do you give your inner voice space to be heard? It's a great question. I have, I'm not always as regimented. Like, you know, there are people who say I journal every day. Um, I aspire to be that person, but I'm not always that person. But when I'm actually trying to figure something out, I do journal. Mm. And the reason is because sometimes what I'm writing is just babble. But within it, it allows me the opportunity to actually write down what I'm thinking. And sometimes my thoughts could just be like, I'm frustrated with this and why isn't this happening? Mm-hmm. But even if – and then all of a sudden things, you know, it starts to clear the cobwebs around a situation – um, I think for me, that's probably one of the most powerful ways I get my voice out mm-hmm. because I, I love my life. Actually, right before I went to bed, I was like, God, thank you for my life. I love oh, it. Oh, that's beautiful. But I was all, but I also have the reality of like, I'm running a business. I have two kids yeah. who I, you know, love dearly who are busy in, you know, in sports and doing their things. And I have aging parents and, 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 and so there's not a lot of time for me to, I can be in my head a lot, but that's not the same no. as letting your voice out. Yes. Yes. I think that I agree with that. And I mean, we can be in our heads all day long, right? That's the truth. And I don't, I don't think we actually get too much from that <laughs> because, no. you know, a lot of the thoughts are repetitive. Um, and also, I think when you journal your thoughts, you realize some of the things like that you are somewhat wasting your thoughts, you're wasting your energy on also, yeah. right? So by writing it down, it allows you to resolve some of them. So you can move on to hopefully new thoughts, right? That are, yeah. It, it shows you, yeah. And it shows you what's on your mind. Because sometimes you can look back and be like, wow, that really mattered to me two days ago yeah. because it didn't <laughs> even matter today. But to your point, it also gets it out on paper and then it clears it. Yeah. from your mind. Yeah. It just, it is a very powerful thing to do. Yes. It's so funny. I was just listening to um, Wayne Dyer today, who I used to listen to years ago, like 10 years ago. And um, something of his came up. So I just hit play and he was sharing that one of his tricks was, I mean, he's passed away now, but one of his tricks was whenever he'd have a thought that he realized wasn't serving him or was ca- catching him in a negative loop, he would just say to himself, next. 
Like next, what's the next thought, right? Like move on next. And I love that. It's so simple. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Um, okay. I want to chat with you about, um, so this podcast is called a midlife awakening podcast, right? And I wanted to create a space for women, um, like say 40 plus to, or approaching their forties to have a conversation about um, what is inspiring to us and where we see our lives and um, and what possibility looks like at this mm-hmm. age of life, right? Like you've spent um, a good part of your life building a family and a career and um, really forming your identity, but we're not done growing, right? Like we're not done expanding. And I feel like a lot of us or a society somewhat expects that we are kind of like we've reached a peak at some point, you know, and I'm like, no, we haven't. We have so much more to go and there's so much more to do and, and be and all of it. And so um, I wanted to create a space so that we could have these conversations. And so I wanted to ask you, how are you thinking about life in your forties? It's funny that you think you ask the question because I think about it sometimes because sometimes I feel like I'm an older founder. Mm-hmm. Um, I was booking a flight or my uh, colleague or my assistant said to me she's, she was going to book my flight because I made a mistake the last time I booked it. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just rushing. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I realized I booked the wrong time. So she was like, just like, let me do something for you. Um, and so she had to ask me my birth date. And I was, at, I have to admit, I was a bit like, oh, I don't want to tell you because you're going to think I'm really old. Um, <laughs> because I do think that there's a, a propensity once you get to your mid 40s or late 40s, maybe not for you yourself, but also the world kind of says, like, oh, wow, like, are you, you know, I, even my girlfriends once said to me, like, are you going to work till you're 55? And I was like, I think I'm going to work forever. Yeah. Not because I'm a workaholic, but just because I have more to do. And even if one day I'm not doing this, I hope I'm doing board work or I will I have all yeah, these like, things I want to try. Um so oh my gosh, I lost track of your question because I got oh, it was it was about life in your 40s. Yeah, how I'm looking at it. I think I you know, for me, I do have so much. And I one thing that I've learned from my own parents is I think that or or even observing them, their friends, their generation, is that you know, they put so much into their kids. Mm -hmm. And then they did what they had to do at work. And then it, I perceived that a lot of them retired and then, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't as much on tap after that. Yes. And I've often thought that, well, one, that's not going to be the life that I want to live, but two, you know, I, I want more, I want to grow more, I want to develop more. Mm -hmm. I had a girlfriend say to me recently that she was at a team meeting and the question was like, what are your hobbies outside of work? And she felt embarrassed that she didn't have one. Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't have time for hobbies. Like I'm at work. I've got two kids. I've got, you know, I'm commuting three days a week, an hour away. Like there yeah. isn't time. And I thought, isn't it a shame that somehow in this p- pace of life, there's an, a part of ourselves. I know we can't necessarily operate in the same way we did maybe when we were single or didn't have kids or mm-hmm. were younger. Because I also recognize like before I could stay up and work late and get up in the morning and have less sleep, like I need my sleep. Yeah. Like I will. Yeah, absolutely. That is something that for sure happens in your 40s. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I actually, this is very not entrepreneur, but I don't work at night. Yeah. Um, even though sometimes there's work to be done yeah. because one, I don't know how to turn it off and then I can't sleep. Yeah. 
And to uh, by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I, and that is something that I think comes into your 40s. So we can't do everything the way we used to do. But as I envision my life in my 40s, I guess in the same way, I hope I'm always pushing myself outside of my comfort mm-hmm. zone. Mm-hmm. I think it's what's going to keep me uncomfortable, but also happy and healthy. Yeah, I agree with that. And I really love what you pointed out. And I think I'm like thinking of some of the women who are listening right now and who devote so much to their children and their work and have so little for themselves, like really so little and feel so guilty. And like, what would I even do if I had an hour of my own time? Like that kind of attitude. And I, I want them to hear this, that it's true, right? Like they're needs to be a life that is all your own because in the end, your life is all your own. Like, yes, of course, family, um, friends, community, those Mm -hmm. are so important. But um, one day your kids do grow up and one day that job does end. And what are you cultivating for you in the meantime? And you also can't pour from an empty cup. And so people fill their cup very differently. Yeah. and even if like what I've said sometimes to girlfriends and I say, you know, and saying it to them, I'm saying it to myself, but it's also like I want to model for my kids that they are the most important people in my life, but they're not, you know, part of part of that is me modeling that I have other things, mm-hmm. right? Like is, is it, because even though they're the most important people in my life, it doesn't mean that they are my whole life. Yes. Because I also think <laughs> that that's probably not healthy for them to feel that way either. Um so I, I think it's an interesting time of transition. And I think, you know, we one of the cool things is that we've seen over the probably even just in our times versus our mothers, like we've seen redefinition in what women can do. Mm-hmm. But I think we still have so much more to go on. Like I'm one of those people when I see a post that's like, did you know that Vera Wang only started her business in her 40s? I'm like, yeah, she did. <laughs> you know, like because I need to continue to see that because I think the narrative that we often hear is of like the startup entrepreneur who did it when they were 26 with the sweatshirt on and like. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then if you, that stops you from starting because you're like, well, of course that that person, like, first of all, has no other responsibilities. They don't have yeah. children. They don't have expectations. They probably don't have a mortgage. Like there's all these things. They can live in their parents' basement. Yeah, they can exactly. Well, they're growing their base. And, and I think, I think we need to have more relatable models. Yes. Because also if the relatable model is like here's this – and I'm not saying they don't work hard, but if it's like here's a celebrity or here's someone from a prominent family or here's someone who's done this, yeah, I think sometimes we don't find it relatable. So That's we're like, well, I can't do it. I don't have the systems or the structures or the finances that they had in place to do all of those things where in fact there's so many examples and you and I know many of them mm-hmm. of people who do it. Yeah, yeah. That I mean that is – so powerful. And I think that is um, an important message for women in their 40s and beyond. I actually read an article recently about how um, companies started by women in their 50s had a higher success rate than, you know, women in their 30s even. And Mm -hmm. it just, again, you know, speaks to the experience and the, like, just the wisdom that comes with having those years of experience and of how to approach starting a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that but that article um, represents only a small percentage of women. And I think the reason why is because women are afraid to go there, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is fascinating. And I do think, you know, 
not that every single one of us are afraid, but I think on the, it is hard. And I think, you know, not everybody, but in the same way that I told that story about my friend who was like, really, Lisa? Like, mm-hmm. you're going to give up everything that you have? And I think far too often we're, we're told that, you know, you don't need to do this. What you've got is good, is oh, good too, or what you've got is good enough. Yeah, which, you know, personally, I hate that. <laughs> I'm going to say, like, I actually hate it because – that's what keeps us small. That's what keeps us like not fulfilling our true potential because I truly believe that if you want something, it's meant for you. And it, there can be varying degrees of what that looks like, yeah. but I don't think you have a desire to do, be, create something out of nowhere. Like, sure. you know, you are a divine being and I believe that those, those ideas or that feeling, it comes through you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so to be told to just like stay in your lane, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and again, it's not like, oh, go quit your job and go, blah, blah, you know, not to do anything rash, but to listen to that voice. How about we just start there? Let's just listen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, trust ourselves that we're actually capable of quite amazing things. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, I know you may have listeners who are like, again, in that midlife transition of wanting to go to entrepreneurship, but it might just be like, it, it could be anything, right? It could be adding something into your life. It yeah. could be, you know, I, I, you know, we're now at that age where we have girlfriends who are moving into the C-suite, like mm-hmm. who maybe a few years ago thought they would never be there. Yeah. Right. And right. so whatever it is that you want to add, you know, a side hustle. Yes. Be a yoga instructor. Like yes, it's still- yes. Writing again. I haven't written in 20 years, but I love writing. Just start writing again. Anything. Anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, Lisa, we're coming um, to the last question. And okay. um, this is a question I ask everybody on the podcast. And so I would love to hear your answer. What do you think it means to be all you are? Oh, that's a great question. I think it means not only reaching your potential, but I think it means being very comfortable in your skin. Mm. And I think that that is something that isn't as easily achieved as we think it is. So I don't just mean comfortable in your skin. You know, when I think about comfortable in your skin, it's like comfortable in who you are Mm. and what your goals are and how you want to be in the world. And everything about that, I, I, I think that that's been a growing journey for me. Mm Um, you know, so for me to be all the, all, you know, all you are, all I am, Mm -hmm. I feel like is, is, is actually just being very comfortable in all of that, Mm -hmm. like in the uncomfortable places, in the creases and in the, in the great aspirations in all of that. I think it's, I think it's being, being calm and at peace and just being so comfortable, Mm -hmm. um, it may sound so wishy. I, I, I'm trying to find a more tangible way to say it, but I can feel it. Like yeah. I can feel it in my bones. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's a hard thing because um, we question ourselves so much mm-hmm. or we don't want to be too much of something or we don't want to speak our loud aspirations or use our voices. So to me, to be all you are is being very comfortable in being that. Yeah. I love that, Lisa. I do. I agree. I feel like it's like um, just being able to be present with yourself in whatever yes. whatever it is in that moment, just to be present mm-hmm. with yourself. And and when you find yourself 
not being present to, to know that. Like if you feel like you're getting caught up with what someone else is thinking about you, just to have the awareness like, oh, I'm doing that and not being pulled by it, but yeah. instead being able to sit and notice it and come back to yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that is, um, you know, a beautiful um, a beautiful way of being that that often comes with experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for um, joining me today. I I feel like we could have talked a lot longer, so we may have to do a part two because yes, <laughs> I want to ask you. Um, but I'm I'm so happy to have you on, and because I'm just really starting out this podcast, so I'm taking time to invite my friends and people that I respect and love, and who I know will have a message for my audience that will really resonate. So thank you, thank you, thanks for having me, thanks for thinking of me. Of course, didn't you just love Lisa's take on what it means to be all you are? I love what she said about being comfortable in all the places, the uncomfortable spots, the creases, and in the great aspirations. It's really this idea of embracing and loving all of you. Thank you for listening and being here with us. You have no idea how much it means to me that you're tuning in and that we are having these great conversations. I'd love to hear from you what has been resonating What do you wish that you could hear more about? What questions are you asking yourself or grappling with? Please send me a DM or reach out via my website. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to connect. I want to hear what's on your mind and sort of what you are dreaming of and what's holding you back. And a quick reminder again about the Manifesting in Midlife Workshop. It is tomorrow. Register today and I will see you there. The link again is in the show notes. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found inspiration and use this podcast to start stepping into all you are. To hear more about the podcast, follow me over on Instagram at Kana underscore all you are. Send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're loving the podcast, I'd be so honored if you go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Until next time, remember to keep exploring what it means to be all you are.